Love Talk Radio. My name is Mark Radledge. I'm a mandated reporter, and I'm frankly, I'm mortified. And this is The Long Road to Ruin, brought to you by the Radledge Broadcasting Network. As the calendar turns the page from October to November, we say goodbye to all the scary things and the horror monsters and the whatnot. And we are on to a new theme, our most ambitious in quite some time. We're going to go almost four straight weeks, three weeks, then a break, then our last week. Uh, talking about one entire series of movies, eight in total, in uh, celebration of a new movie in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, we have decided now is the time to take on the original Harry Potter series. Uh, We're breaking it into four shows, two by two by two by two, and tonight we're going to be looking at Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, and Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Uh, joining me tonight, as always, is my co-host, Mr. Sean Comer. How you doing, Sean? Hi, everybody. I'm Sean. You're not. I'm kind of sleepy. <laughs> so um, I pretty much explained <laughs> what there is to explain as to what we're doing here tonight. Um, we have mm. two very, very long, very, very um, – deep movies. I don't want to call them complex, but they are definitely, there's a lot of depth as far as, you know, what goes on in these movies. There's an entire world that's being built with the first one and, and continued with the second. Uh, so we have a lot to talk about. I don't want to waste a lot of time tonight with the excessive jibba-jabba. Um, so we're going to get right into this. Um, so the first one here, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, uh, came out in 2001. It was based on the novel written by J.K. Rowling. And uh, I'm going to give it to Sean here to go over some notes uh, as far as production goes. But let me just throw this out there. The first movie really does lay lay out all the pieces and what the overall plot of the series is, which is basically we have one villain, the Sauron of this thing, as it were, uh, the Dark Vader, Lord Voldemort, and his quest for vengeance against uh, Harry Potter. Um, We'll learn that Voldemort killed Harry's parents, uh, and when he attacked Harry, he left a scar on the kid's head, but doing so, lost his powers, and this is a a long road, as it were, to try to get them back and get revenge on young Potter. Um, It's a hero's journey. It's a story of a little boy who who has come to be raised by some fairly abusive muckles, as they're called, uh, non-magic-using folk in jolly old England, and uh, finding himself and his power within meeting friends, and having adventures along the way. 
Uh, and a lot of that gets covered in the first movie, The Philosopher's Stone, and they start moving the pieces along uh, in the subsequent movies, like Chamber of Secrets. So, Sean, what's the history of this thing? What are your, what, what are your notes tell you? Well, I mean, I'm going to keep this kind of brief because speaking of notes, I kind of got a little note over social media last week that um, apparently I got a little bit long-winded when we were talking about Hannibal. Uh, So I'm going to kind of keep things as brisk as possible when talking about filming. I kind of avoid a lot of the minutia. What I will say is that one of the best things about this movie is that director Chris Columbus, who directed both this and the second movie, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, uh, made a point of repeatedly checking in with Joe Rowling to make sure that he was really keeping to even the minor details as much as possible to make sure that this really beat with the heart of the source material. And it was as authentic as it could possibly be. Um, uh, in fact, there, there was actually one line that was removed entirely because upon checking in with uh, Rowling, uh, she said that including it would immediately contradict something that was to happen in what at the time was the next book in the series, which was Harry Potter and the Order of Phoenix. Um, they had to remove a few a few minor characters. Um, they had to change a few change a few events, do away with a couple of with a couple incidents from from the books. Like for example, um, Harry's time at Mrs. at Mrs. Figs. Um, and a few other things just for the sake of flow of kind of just generally successfully adapting it. It's the kind of stuff that you have to do almost any time you're taking something from one medium to another. Uh, I would know that obviously with a lot of the child stars, you're going to see it's a lot of them were at the time, absolute total unknowns. Uh, you know, they they weren't exactly plucking stars from Nickelodeon and Disney shows or sitcoms and what have you to fill these roles out. Uh, they really stuck to making sure that they fit the characters rather than the idea of, okay, how is their name value going to add to the stock of the franchise? And something else that I think really helped bring the movie along well is the fact that throughout, from the from the very beginning right on through the franchise, uh, the entirely British cast, the children and the adults, at which was Rowling's request, by the way, is also filled out with just a venerable who's who of classic respected actors that I feel like probably really helped along the way to both help the younger stars kind of adapt to stardom and being and being in the spotlight and also helped to groom them as performers. Because when you really go down the cast and look at it, 
you have to think about the fact that that actors that we all know so well today, like Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson, and to unfortunately a slightly lesser extent Rupert Grint, because he's also a fantastic performer, they sat under a learning tree that was populated by the likes of John Cleese, Robbie Coltrane, Richard Griffiths, Warwick Davis, Richard Harris, John Hurt, the late great Alan Rickman. Well. He's also the late great Richard Harris, too, uh, as he unfortunately passed away between the making of the second and third movies. Uh, Fiona Shaw, Maggie Smith, Julie Walters, as we as we get further on into the series, um, we're going to add the likes of other performers such as uh, Gary Oldman and Helena Bonham Carter. And um, Kenneth Branagh, I'm sorry. Like I said, it's been a long week, and I'm just a tad drowsy. I'm blanking on a few, on a few names for some reason. Uh, and I, I'm forgetting one. The one who played Professor Trelawney, unfortunately. Um, it's I, I. Hang on, I'm just gonna flip over to my notes for Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets to remember, to remember this. Because if I don't, I'm. I'm going to feel awful about it. Um, oh, okay. Jason Isaacs, while I'm looking, there's another, there's another one. Um, help me out here, um, Mark. Emma, not Watson. Um, she was in Stranger Than... She was in Stranger Than Fiction. Okay, we're not talking about the who? actors playing Hermione, are we? Uh, playing uh, who? Hermione? No, no. Well, no, because I know that's Emma Watson. Okay. Oh, Stranger Than Fiction. Got it. 2006. Uh, yeah. Le- le- say what? Okay, which Stranger Than Fiction are we referring to? A 2006 film? The one the one with Will Ferrell and Maggie Joan Hall. Yes. Okay. Uh, Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson. Got it. How am I blanking on that? You're one of my favorite actresses. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, um, and then and then just just for grins, let's throw in. Um, I believe it's one of the fines. I think it's Joseph Fines, or is it Ray Fines? Uh, probably Ray. I'll double check. Yeah. <laughs> I I apologize so sincerely, folks. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, so this franchise, wherein just generally speaking, I'm going to keep coming back to this uh, kind of as we go along, the fact that the wonderful thing about all these young actors is they grow so superbly along with the series. And it's something that you just you just can't plan for. You you can't divine whether or not, you know, it just just how lovely and poised a young woman Emma Watson would would grow into being. Um, same goes with Daniel Radcliffe, uh, and they all end up growing on screen into manifestations of the characters that are just so endearingly close 
just just so captivatingly close to kind of what you imagine when you read when you read the books. Um, about the only other things I'm going to say about it in terms of production, in terms of production, and for the sake of again keeping things brief, is the fact that of all people, originally um, Steven Spielberg. Uh, was quite high on the thought of wanting to of wanting to direct this. At first, his idea was he wanted to make an animated adaptation in which uh, Haley Joel Osment would voice Harry Potter, and possibly one that would intertwine events from several of the books. And. What ultimately ended up happening was when they offered it to him, he ended up declining it and just removing himself from the running entirely because he felt like it was going to be too easy. Um, and the funny thing is, instead of all the, of all the movies, he instead decided to uh, fulfill um, – something that he and his friend, the late Stanley Kubrick, had always talked about doing, and that was making AI, artificial intelligence. And after he left, other directors under consideration at the time, and just listen to some of these and just think about what their visions of this would have looked like, where you had the likes of, um, you know, not exactly household names, such as Brad Silberling, uh, Peter Weir, Mike Newell, Alan Parker, uh, two really well-known directors such as Jonathan Demme, Wolfgang Peterson, Rob Reiner, Ivan Reitman, Tim Robbins, uh, uh, Terry fucking Gilliam was under consideration at one point. Uh, and... God help us, they were actually at one point looking into M. Night Shyamalan. No. <laughs> oh, yeah, no kidding. Thank God for small favors there, right? But what ultimately mm-hmm. ended up happening was they ended up going with uh, Chris Columbus mostly because they looked at his very warm, family-friendly films such as Home Alone and Mrs. Doubtfire and thought... This is the guy for this phase of the story. Uh, his tone is what's really going to bring this to bring this to life. Um, he's going to be really the one to kind of, to kind of do it justice. So, with that in mind, uh, Mark, I, I know that a couple times when we talked about this, you you sounded, shall we say. Less than thrilled about watch uh, well well because in the time we've been doing this I can think of two franchises that when I've brought them up it's almost like I can hear that sideshow Bob shudder come out of you. And that's Kevin Smith's Jersey anthology and you know, you've you've been kind of brusque a few times when I've asked, Hey, when are we ever gonna get around to doing hair doing Harry Potter. So I'm, I'm dying to know because we're, for those of you who don't know, I'm a single 33 year old guy, no kids. If we're being honest, no plans to have any, anytime in the immediate or even not too distant future. Um, and Mark on the other hand 
is a uh, twice married, uh, currently happily married, uh, father of two. So I'm I'm really dying to know kind of what you were looking for when you when you when you first popped in. Harry Potter and the and to me it's always going to be in the Sorcerer's Stone. I know it's the Philosopher's Stone, that's the original title, but Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. What were what were you kind of expecting? Well, let me let me go back and answer that question with a bit of context. The reason why, um, just as an aside, I don't think I've been against doing the Jer- the, the Jersey anthology. I think it was more of trying to figure out where it would fit in the schedule and the amount of films we're going to have to talk about. But that's a that's a conversation. When you put it that way, I understand. Yeah, no, I love that. Well, yeah, because when you put it that way, I mean, because right now, now that I think about it, it's, okay, you've got the the original five movies, and then you throw in Clerks, and then you throw in Clerks 2, and I think Kevin has said that I think Mallrats 2 is supposed to be is supposed to be next, and I think he's also got a had a script laying around for Clerks three for a while. Yeah, yeah, man. When you man, when you put it that way, by the time we get to that, goddamn, we we may almost have to listen to that, live with that, just to the first five movies. Yes, um, Harry Potter. So, uh, as I was telling <laughs> Sean, show started, and we started off the year with with really two of my favorite trilogies. Um, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Well, you know, I I really do enjoy them. I enjoy that world. I've read uh, the books, watched the cartoons. Uh, they're up there with Star Wars for me in a lot of in a lot of ways as movies individually. They're ahead of a lot of the Star Wars movies just because the quality is better. Um, I enjoy a good sword and sandals fantasy uh, rat. Um, something of the titans um gosh darn it clash clash of the titans kind of a thing um i enjoy that i've never read the harry potter books i had no interest in them this um i understand the adults that do read them and i'm not knocking anybody that does it's fine everyone has their thing there's nothing inherently wrong with the harry potter series i just wasn't interested in the story of a boy wizard and his school that he goes to, which was sort of a, it sounds like I'm sliding it, but that that's what this was. Now there's, there's more to it than that, but if you were just sort of stripping everything away, that's what this is. Now put a sword in Harry's hand and make him fight a dragon. I'm interested again. <laughs> <laughs> you must have liked so, Chamber of Secrets then. <laughs> I'm and I'm getting there, um, but I was dragged <laughs> to all of these. I was um, not dating. Dating would would be an exaggeration. I was really good friends with a girl while I was going to grad school, and she loved these books. She just thought they were the bee's knees. They were the best thing ever, and I would have followed her to the ends of the earth. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I really like this girl. Um, my mother hated her, and she probably would have strangled me if we if this had developed into a relationship. <laughs> uh, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so, Jen, if you're out there listening, love you, toots. Um, so, anyway, 
So Jen dragged me to all of these movies for the most part, except you know until I moved and subsequently went with uh, my current wife. Um, I came to enjoy what I saw. I went with an open mind because I, because you know, I'm there with this girl and she likes it, so it's like, all right, let me give this a shot. But I had no interest going in. Over time, I came to enjoy the characters. Uh, I came to enjoy the story. Uh, I really wanted to see how this was going to conclude. And we'll talk more about this when we get to the Deathly Hollows, part one and part two, in the beginning of December. But suffice to say, uh, and I won't give it away now, but I definitely, by the time we get to the end of the sixth movie, I was really into this. I was like, okay, what's going to happen? How are they going to defeat Voldemort? And I was hankering. I was ready for a Merlin versus Morgan Le Fay type wizards duel between Harrier the warrior wizard and evil Lord Voldemort. I was ready. I was banged, ready to go. So imagine my surprise when I actually got to Deathly Hollows one and two. But um, your question specifically. <laughs> So that's part of what the hesitation was in doing this, which was, oh, I have to go through this again. <laughs> um, was number one. Number two, it's that's a lot. Of, it's a lot of movies, and this year I kind of wanted to keep, you know, to as many single episodes uh, as we could to just get more content in. You know, if you'll notice with this schedule, we've been going maybe once or twice a month, and I didn't want to. Um, I didn't want to take on something that maybe we would end up sort of losing sight of due to schedules and things happening and whatnot. But I, I kind of, I, when I saw that when Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them was coming out, and I knew that the brothers were sort of hitching their wagon to widening the wizarding world of Harry Potter, um, you know, they, they, built up a, they built up part of Universal Studios. There are more movies coming out. Fantastic Beasts is now part one of a trilogy um, J.K. Rowling is writing more books. I was like, okay, this isn't going away anytime soon. So now is as good at any time as any to revisit this and look at these movies objectively and talk about them and have some fun with it. And well, voila, we're doing an entire series over the month of November. It's beginning of December. So there we are. Um, what did I expect from the Philosopher's Stone? Uh, going... Um, Again, going into it the first time, I expected nothing. I, I was hoping I wouldn't be bored out of my fucking kazoo, which I wasn't. Um, <laughs> going into it a second time, watching it this past Sunday, I had sort of two things I was looking for. I was wanting to see if my daughter, who is five going on six very, very soon, uh, this January, as a matter of fact, would bite, would, would, would get into it. I wanted to see if um, it's weird what, what she'll like suddenly become obsessed with. And I wanted to see if she would have the kind of reaction to Harry Potter that so many adult women and so many children have had. I mean, this, this thing made, this first movie made almost a billion dollars in 2001. Okay. This is not 2010, 2001. This thing made almost a billion dollars. So I was looking partially to see what her reaction would be. And two, it's been so long since I'd seen it that I honestly didn't remember how the movie went. So it was, it was kind of like watching it for the first time again and uh, a little older, a little wider, and wanting to look at it even more objectively. The first time around, it was like, okay, please don't be shitty. I like this, and I don't <laughs> want to complain about this. 
the second time around, it was, okay, let's look at, let, let's see how this works as a film. And that's what we're going to talk about now. Does that answer well, your question? Let me, well, kind of. Let me, however, it kind of brought to mind something else. And I didn't really think about it until you, until you brought this up. And, and now that you mentioned it, you mentioned how wildly popular the series is, especially among adult women. And it made me kind of think a little bit. I went, you know, two of the two of the great loves of my adult life, um, uh, have they? They have both been avowed huge Harry Potter fans. Um, and in fact, I was I was in relationships with both of them, kind of one right one right after another. And the first was kind of my introduction to it. And while, while I love the series, while, while I hold a very deep abiding respect for it, for Joe Rowling, for everything it, for everything it kind of means to the greater world of literature and to just kind of my development as sort of a late-in-life geek, uh, that, that's a very good point that I had never really thought of. I, I guess I'm wondering why do you think it is that if you were to really look at it, the series seems to be much more sacred to women than it is oftentimes than it is to men. Um, this thing isn't particularly laden with testosterone. I mean, no. look, there are plenty of people that like one of the rings, but if, but if you need a manlier movie than that, I'm not entirely sure what you're looking for. Um, whereas Harry Potter... Well, I would not necessarily call it feminine. Uh, certainly, your lead character uh, is no is no milksop. Um, you know, Harry stands up for himself good. I would not, I would not call him, um, you know, I would not call him uh, a sissy. Um, it's not the manliest of series. It's, it's first of all, it's full of kids. Okay, so right there, um, I don't know. And this is a broad generalization, but I don't know how many adult men um, gravitate towards movies chock full of children. Um, I don't know how many men gravitate towards careers chock full of children. Um, in general, there are certainly male teachers, male coaches, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I think, I think in terms of great numbers, I think you're going to find more women willing to accept a story full of kids and their life's journey uh, and children who can identify with them, obviously being uh, gravitating towards this, than adult men who don't necessarily find children to be entertaining. And, and again, just taking a wild guess here, I haven't really thought about it, but that's the first thing that comes to mind. Um, when I think about when I think about the directions that, that the sort of uh, nerd cultures go in, you know, and I think about over the last like 20 years or so of people that I have met and what they seem to like, um, I think they become much more fluid. Yeah. Like I think about twilight, obviously. So no twilight was obviously meant for adult women or, or teenage girls actually. And adult women went, went wild with it because of this prominent love story. Um, and all that went with it. 
Uh, and now there isn't a prominent love story in this, but I think there's an attraction, not in a sexual sense, but in a, say in a gravitate towards sense of seeing this young child sort of grow up and, and gain confidence and take on sort of a nameless evil. Yeah, so um, the love story, the love stories aren't central, but I think you could certainly make an argument for sort of watching the uh, the romance blossom between uh, Ron and Hermione and Harry and, and Harry and Ginny, and even the sort of uh, tragic uh, bygone love triangle of um, James, Lily, and Snape. And that's fine. Um, the argument that I could I could make is that I think the love stories in Harry in the Harry Potter series are as prominent or as not featured as the love stories that are inherent in the Lord of the Rings. You know, you've got oh, a doubt. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's not that's not the main thrust of either of these series. Um, and those those are really just I'm just taking wild guesses here. Um, the other thing is I don't think Lord of the Rings was – the books were meant for, for children necessarily. They were definitely meant for an older audience. Definitely they dealt with heavy themes. And the Harry Potter books, the Twilight books, uh, the Hunger Games were all um, – what it, what's the – it's why something or other. Um, YA. Uh, we're all YA series. You know, the, 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 while these things are about the size of fucking dictionaries – these Harry Potter books, they were still the later books. Um, and so I think that, well, that also might be uh, why adult women tend to gravitate towards them and men not as such. Um, just a guess. I don't know, you know why adult women would want to, you know, get into the YA books and men don't. Uh. <laughs> and again, we have conflicts. <laughs> okay. So this, so there's really like no judgment here. <laughs> so it's like, Oh, women and they, they women read, you know, books for kids. Um, yeah, we read comic books and then get into fist fights over who would win in an actual <laughs> fist fight. Fucking Superman or the Hulk. So there's no judging here. <laughs> you know, it's all relevant. Well, well, no, no, well, no. Well, no. The fist fights come with who would win between Superman and Goku. Superman and Goku. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> all right. Um, if, if you're satisfied with with that part of the conversation, I'm going to move on to the plot of the Philosopher's uh, Stone here. All right, so uh, as I was saying to Sean, Philosopher's Stone is an interesting study in movie craft in the sense of it's nine-tenths world building and one-tenth plot, which which is a a dubious way of creating a film. Um, I I think about, let's say, the, the Phantom Menace, you know, in that sense of, there's a lot of world building that has to happen. You know, you're introducing this whole other time and space to an established series, but you still needed to put a lot of stuff out there. Um, you know, the first hour or so of, of the uh, Fellowship of the Ring or um, the first Hobbit movie does a lot of the same stuff. Um, so it takes a long time to sort of get anywhere because you've got to establish characters, establish some motivations, for these characters um, and characterizations. Uh, you have to introduce the world. And Harry Potter, I think, and, and the uh, Philosopher's Stone or the Sorcerer's Stone, however you want to say it, 
is an interesting movie in the sense that it actually builds the world very, very well while moving things along, not necessarily in the fashion of establishing a plot, but you're still, I never found myself asking, why are we watching this? Because everything had a purpose, whether it's, uh, whether it's just an example of something that, that at first blush might sound a little like, what, what, what is the purpose of this whole exchange of dialogue? Where is this going? Uh, Ron and Harry on the train eating jelly beans. Um, ah. Their whole interaction there is about establishing characterization, character traits, and, and them bonding as friends initially. Um, so it is important. And, and this movie does that for almost you know, over two, three hours, however long this movie is, and does it very, very well. Um, but like I said, thin plot. And it had to be. Something had to give for, for this movie to work. Uh, so, they, so it's a very, very uh, confined plot that sort of just kind of blows up at the end. Um, and by that point, you're well-established in this world. By the way, another example of why the hell are we watching this um, and it making sense is the Quidditch match. Uh, you know, Harry being the whole sequence mm. of events leading up to the Quidditch match and the Quidditch match itself, which reminded me, to why I brought up mm. the Phantom Menace, mm. which reminded me a lot of the pod racing scene. But the difference being that as soon as the pod racing scene is over, you leave Tatooine. So whatever world building that was supposed to establish um, just goes by the wayside because you then leave with the setting entirely. Whereas with Quidditch, you're still at the school. You're, you know, you're still with those characters. All the characters that he's involved with in the pod racing disappear after that scene. So just some examples. Um, so what's it all about? So we have a boy who lives underneath the staircase. <laughs> uh, he is an orphaned boy. Uh, his parents uh, are not with him. They are dead. He does not know why exactly. And he is living with his aunt and uncle and their spoiled son. Um, and when we pick up the story, it is the son's birthday. And it is established almost immediately that Harry is weird. Um, Harry can do things and has caused a ruckus in the past despite himself. Um, it is also established, though the characters are sort of acknowledging it, but you don't, as a viewer, you don't necessarily know why, that they're very against the idea of magic. Um, and you'll find out why later. So moving things along, um, they're mean to Harry. They, they are abusive to him, not physically per se, but they're not, they're, they're not no. treating him well. And, uh, and certainly the cousin treats him pr uh, pretty nastily, sort of a bully. Uh, they, they go to the zoo. You learn that Harry can talk to snakes. Um, a ruckus ensues. <laughs> uh, and shortly thereafter, Harry is invited to attend Hogwarts, much to the chagrin of his uncle, who is trying everything in his power to prevent this. Um, it doesn't work. Uh, Hagrid, who will become a, a, a friend of Harry and a guardian throughout this series finds him at the ends of the earth uh, and takes him to <laughs> takes him to Hogwarts. They stop first to buy school supplies and they go they show you Diagon Alley and they start to explain how this world works. What are the rules to this world? What's a muggle? What's a magic user? Etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. 
Um, it's a lot of setup. It's just, you know, scene setting, scene setting, rules, and a lot of world building. Um, they take Harry to the train station. There's a sequence of him finding the hidden passage to get on this train to uh, Hogwarts. He gets on. We are into a sort of a second phase of the movie where we're starting to introduce some more of the main characters of the series. He meets Ron Weasley. Uh, the two of them meet Hermione, and they eventually get to the school. Uh, at the school, they are subdivided into different houses based on uh, the people who founded the school in the first place. And um, there are going to be details I'm going to skip here just for the sake of time. Um, so I'm not, getting, I'm not getting into his argument with the hat. But he ends up in Gryffindor, which is where he wanted to be in the first place. He, of course, you know, gets into it with the school bully who is uh, Malfoy, whose father is, uh, who we'll find out in the next film, is big in the um, Council of Magic, whatever it is. Um, Ministry of Magic. Thank you, Ministry of Magic. Uh, You start to see Harry and Ron um, going to different classes and learning different things. They come come across... uh, Professor Snape, who seems like a villain. This is important for the little bit of the plot there is of the movie. Uh, you meet Dumbledore. You meet the other folks that are running this school. Will be again throughout the whole series. Um, they do the bit with the Quidditch, where they find that you know that Harry is uh, you know pretty good on a broomstick, so he becomes a seeker. Uh, there's the whole Quidditch sequence, and then finally we get to a plot of some sort. There's a thing um, called the Philosopher's Stone, and there's a guy who killed Harry's parents named Lord Voldemort, who, when he attacked Harry, the magic bounced back, caused a scar on Harry's forehead, and um, caused him to become powerless. And Lord Voldemort, they assume, has gone away. But like all good villains, he isn't just gone away. He's, uh, you know, adopting the Sauron technique of laying wait for your powers return and then start fucking people up. So he's in the forest. He's eating unicorns. It's fine. Um, as it turns out, he's trying to get the philosophy stone by way of uh, using and manipulating one of the teachers. And this becomes a running gag throughout the Harry Potter series that the te- that there's always a new... Um, defense against the dark arts teacher because the previous one got put up or was a was a subject of they're, the moment they're, or some story. They're, they're, basic, they're basically drummers in Spinal Tap. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So yeah, running so, <laughs> and, and that's exactly what happened. The, the great mystery here is um, who uh, you know is who is trying to get the Philosopher's Stone. They think it's Snape. It's not. It turns out it's this other professor who uh, Voldemort's living on the back of his head. Um, through the uh, through the arts of the magic, the Philosopher's Stone ends up in Harry's hand, and because Harry is blessed, he ends up accidentally <laughs> defeating the teacher, and Voldemort flies off into the ether, but not before ha- knocking Harry out. Um, at this point. Uh, His friends have joined him on these mysteries and journey, and they are reunited at the end of the film, uh, and Harry, you know, accepts, you know, Hogwarts is his true home, and that's the movie. Um, 
I don't have a whole lot to say about it in terms of uh, craft. I, I kind of sum that all up with it's weird, <laughs> you know, to do it this way. But it was weird out of necessity. Uh, I, just, I was as I was watching it. I just kept thinking to myself, it's like, it's great that they're building this world and this world is very deep and very complex and very vivid. Are they ever going to tell a story? Before you jump in and say, but there is a story. Yeah, Harry has a journey through the first movie. Harry grows with each movie. And I accept that that's good enough. Um, But there's usually something more in a movie and the more comes a little bit later as a lot of the world building is had. It's handled competently. It's handled very well. Uh, the performances, I think, are spot on. Though the accents get a little dicey at times, um, especially Ron. Ron. Ron needed to. There's needed to be some direction with Ron. Hey, enunciate. The the, the Yanks don't understand what you're saying. Um, but outside no, of that, roll it out. Sure, I understood it fine. <laughs> um, but outside of uh, outside of some Marvel mouthness with with Ron at times. Uh, I actually have no problem with the performances. They're pretty stellar. Daniel, young Daniel Radcliffe as Harry Potter really handles, shoulders his role very well. Um, so I'm going to pass it over to you, Sean. Um, what, what is left to talk about with this movie? What do you think? What, what are some of your thoughts? Well, I mean, I would well, elaborate on a couple things. things. Uh, uh, for starters, for oh, hi, Echo. Oh, hi, Echo. Back. I'm not talking about a fucking dolphin, fucking either. dolphin either. Damn you, Which blog was. Anyway, um, what I would point out is that, yes, this movie is about 99% world building. However, when it comes especially to fantasy, world building done well versus world building done ineptly and, well, really not just in terms of fantasy. It's the difference between Harry Potter, Star Wars, World of Warcraft, Mass Effect. Come on, you knew I was going to throw that in there sometime. Um, and something like Krull, The Dark Crystal, and the Star Wars prequels. I mean, you mentioned the prequels. Um Episode one in particular. Part of the problem with that is, number one, it wasn't a world that we already gave a shit about. We kind of already didn't care. And the more we learned about it, the less we actually cared. <laughs> it was it was a relief when we got to Tatooine. Because, because frankly, that time with the Gungans fucking sucked. sucked. Uh, uh, Coruscant, Coruscant wasn't exactly anything exactly awe inspiring. It damn sure wasn't Cloud City. We had nothing engaging. And what's worse, what's worse, it did something that all three of the movies that I just mentioned do really tragically constantly. And that is, it ignores the basic concept of show, don't tell. We're told a whole bunch of stuff, and we're told that all these things and all these people are important and kind of given hints that there are reasons why we should why we should give a damn. But unfortunately, 
we're never shown anything. We're never shown anything that really drives any any of that home. Uh, we, we we just have to rely on just being on just being told this stuff and being given exposition dumps and picking up on what we can from the from the terrible terrible fucking dialogue, especially from uh, Kira Knightley's not Queen Amidala. <laughs> With Harry, with the Harry Potter movies, especially the first two, we're shown everything, and we're left with no doubt that everything we're being shown is going to continue to be an important part of this world. We're allowed to just kind of bask in everything. A little bit, and and share, and, and share in that share wonder, wonder that's conveyed that so well by uh, by Harry in particular. But as we go along, also Ron and Hermione and all these other people who are obviously already familiar with the fact that yes, magic is a thing. So it's something we're allowed to be immersed in, because well, well, uh, again, like with something as simple as the birdie bots being. For example, we're not just we're not just told, oh, they can taste like any kind of flavor there is. We we get that brief little explanation, and then we're instantly shown just how true that is by the fact that I, I think it's I think it's raw. It's one that tastes like a booger. Right. It's it's this stuff that's and it's also immersive, and we're kind of allowed the time to fall in love with it. That that's why you have a franchise and a world that's made it so successful. You can introduce things like actual commercially available butterbeer and Birdie Boss beans and um, extremely dedicated nerds who actually put together a version of British. You know, th- th- this is this is why that there is no. Um, World of Crawl theme park. Right. <laughs> is because is because for for as wonderful as that world as that world could have been, there was, we were just never given any time to really be shown and to experience for ourselves just everything there there was to see in that movie. And again, same deal with the Dark Crystal. Same deal with the fan with the Phantom Menace. We're told a whole bunch, but we don't really experience anything. Um, uh, otherwise, I think we've really covered most. We've really covered most of it. It's it's just one of those mo- one of those movies that I think that every nerd of our generation who has kids kind of owes it to themselves to sit down and watch at least the first one. And then to just kind of let the excitement continue to build, if they end up getting as sucked in as a lot of us did, and just, just losing themselves, themselves to 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 all that to all that magic and and mysticism and everything that you just fall into from the first time from the moment over the Warner Brothers logo, you hear that familiar theme. But I think for the first movie, I think that's about it. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more to talk about, and I actually have a 
serious complaint about the Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets after watching it the second time. I didn't notice it the okay, first time. Okay, do tell. Um, 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 let me let me lay out the plot here and some of the some of the money you like to say on Danny Hollywood. And then yes, I will I will do as I do on this show is uh, as I will lay down a truth. Um, so in a hundred million dollar budget, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, which came out in 2002, made a little less money than the first one. Not a tremendous amount less. I mean, it made about 879 million at the box office, and I'm sure over time it's made more in it made, it made more money in DVD and Blu-ray sales and whatnot, and um, you know, been played on TV ad nauseum. And I know that because um, every time I go to my in-laws' house, one of them is watching a Harry Potter, or rather. Someone is watching one of the Harry Potter movies. So, hmm. th- this thing made plenty of money. Um, not a failure. <laughs> so, uh, it, ostensibly, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, year two at, uh, at Harry Potter at Hogwarts. And we begin once again. This time, uh, Harry Potter actually has his own room. Um, you know, the relatives have eased up on him a smidge. But we are, we are starting once again with the same basic premise of just because you're family and you live here doesn't mean we love you. Um, the, the uncle is trying to impress uh, his boss and trying to make a sale of some sort. Uh, everyone's got on their Sunday best, and Harry Potter hides in his room. And here's where we meet Dobby. And Dobby is possessed with the power oh, of... Dobby. Uh, Dobby is possessed with the power of Three's Company. You know what the power of Three's Company is? Creating an awkward situation... That's enti- that's almost improbable, and is painful to watch because human beings, and I'm gonna assume even the house elves, don't actually act this way. It, God, that, yeah, okay, I'll talk about it later. Um, so Dobby is, uh, despite the fact that Harry was supposed to be on his best behavior, Dobby is making all kinds of noise, and the reason Dobby is doing that is because there is a plot to kill Harry, and Dobby is trying to prevent Harry from going back to Hogwarts, lest he fall victim to the plot and die. Um, mm. This then leads to a ruckus. <laughs> Stop me if you've heard this one before. Um, a ruckus ensues. The father is embarrassed, and he has decided that that's it. The hell with all of this. Uh, Harry Potter is not going back to that school over my dead body. I'm putting bars on the windows. I'm immediately going to devalue my house and make it look like this is a crime for the neighborhood. Um, <laughs> however, uh, Harry is then saved uh, by the Weasley family and their flying car. Take them ba- they take him back, and we get a little bit more world building here as you get to see the Weasley homestead. Um, from the Weasley homestead, uh, you also learn about sort of the politics and the um, sort of, not, not caste system, that would be a, too, a little bit too harsh, but the uh, class system uh, among the wizards. You've got the Weasley family who are known and, and are well liked and are, you know, have their power, but are not, uh, but are not the Malfoys, who are rich yeah. and powerful, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so you get a, so you get a little more sense of that uh, along the way. Uh, Harry, you know, Harry buys his books. Harry gets his stuff together. They get on the train. Bam! They can't get on the train. Okay, things are not going well for Harry at this point. Uh, there was a strange, strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Harry is having a difficult time getting to school. So they jump in the car and they take the flying car to Hogwarts. 
and proceed to wreck them, like you do when you're 12 and drive a car, um, even a flying <laughs> one. Um, we get to school. We meet our new um, dark arts, uh, Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, who is a celebrity author, someone who has professed to have done wonderful, powerful, magical things, and we will find out that he's a charlatan. He's pulling the wool over you over people's eyes. But he's a uh, matinee <laughs> island runner, and all the girls are, uh, are simply uh, a flutter for him. The hearts are all a flutter. So he's the new teacher. Played fantastic. Yeah. By Indeed. And outstanding work by the man. Um, here's, the, here's where the plot uh, starts to thicken and, and things get going. We, uh, we have a, a situation where, where we have a petrified cat and a, and a message on the wall that says, in blood, that says, the chamber of secrets has been opened, enemies of the air everywhere. And a pl- as the plot unfolds and the mystery unfolds, uh, basically what we've got going here is somebody has opened up this chamber of secrets. Um, it, it turns out that one of the clues is that it's the heir to uh, Salazar Slytherin. One of the dorms is named after him. Um, and this is all sort of a thing to, I think, bring back Voldemort, as I, as I understood it. Uh, we are introduced to a flashback in which we meet Tom Riddle. Um, we are uh, told, in, uh, as part of this flashback, that it could be, maybe, could have been Hagrid who opened up the Chamber of Secrets, or maybe he was set up. We're not sure yet. Uh, mm-hmm. Along the way, we start to figure out who is this beast this thing, this uh, this uh, evil magic that is turning, uh, that is petrifying people, and at this point they've petrified Hermione. It's a basilisk, which is some sort of mystical snake creature, who uh, if, if it looks at you, uh, it kills you. However, like Medusa, uh, if you incorrectly look at it, you'll just become petrified. Um, Catatonic, if you will. Uh, they learn that Ginny, who is uh, Ron's youngest sister, uh, who's also smitten with Harry, by the way, uh, was taken mm-hmm. into the chamber. Um, they try to get Lockhart, who is Kenneth Branagh, to uh, go rescue her. Turns out he's a coward and <laughs> is not very, very good at what he's doing. He is exposed as a fraud. Um, he ends up losing his memory, by the way, <laughs> throughout all of this. Long story short, uh, Tom Riddle is Voldemort. Uh, as we'll find out, and that this has all been his doing. He's been manipulating Ginny to carry out his will. It was he who got her to open up the Chamber of Secrets, and so between Ginny and the Basilisk, that's the answer to all the questions. And in the end, we have a fight between the Basilisk and uh, Harry, where the the hat shows up, and the hat gives him uh, Godric Gryffindor's sword, um, kills the Basilisk, and I forget how he does away with uh, with Voldemort in that one. Um, uh, 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 Harry defeats Riddle. Oh, okay, Harry defeats him. I don't remember how. Um, this was uh, too many days how, how he defeats the Basilisk? No, how he defeats Riddle. He kill, I know he oh. kills the Basilisk, but I don't remember what he does to Riddle to get rid of him. Um, uh, well, I mean... I don't remember how he exactly how he defeats like like Riddle exactly, but I know he I know they aren't able to kind of complete the ritual to bring him back. 
Uh, yeah. Because because Harry was able to defeat to defeat the oh, Basilisk. Uh, he saved the book. He, That's it. He realized. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. What happened? Yeah, they destroyed the book. Right. 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 Now I remember. Yeah. Um, he destroyed. He was able to destroy the book. Um, and in the process, uh, Fox flew in with the sword, with the sorting hat. Um, as Riddle was able to summon the bas the Basilisk. Fox blinded the basilisk. The sorting hat produced Godric Gryffindor's sword. Um, Harry slayed the snake, slayed the snake, uh, but was poisoned by its fang, but managed to survive. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. Harry Harry destroyed the book by stabbing it with a basilisk fang. Right, and so um, the essence, the, the memory of Voldemort, who is Tom Riddle, is then yeah disappears into the ether. Ginny is saved. Uh, Everybody is cured of their um, various petrifications. Uh, we get a final appearance by Dobby <laughs> and the uh, Lucius Malfoy, and in a bit of uh, misdirection, as it were, uh, Habby, um, Harry tricks uh, Malfoy into setting Dobby free, and of course, then Dobby is dedicated to Harry forever. All right, here is my biggest problem with this movie. Okay. A okay. lot of the movie is Dobby fucking with Harry and trying to get him to not go to Hogwarts. And then there are other things happening um, in which Harry keeps getting himself into trouble where my feeling is that if Harry on day one had just gone right to Dumbledore and said, look, well before I even got here this year, I was told by some crazy ha uh, house elf there's a plot to murder me. <laughs> something stinks, okay? In the state of Denmark, something is rotten. Let's be on the lookout for nonsense and weird things. And when the nonsense and weird things actually do start, the adults in this place have been like, all right, <laughs> Harry, we, let's all circle the wagons around you and, make, and let's go looking for, you know, what this thing is. And oh, by the way, they knew about the chamber, chamber of Secrets, and nobody could find the goddamn thing in the bathroom. No one. See, this is lazy writing, in my opinion. I'm not saying it's a bad, uh, but I hate the fact that the adults in the movie are this dumb, and nobody thinks to just talk and explain what's happening to them. I mean, as much as I like Harry as a character, this movie annoyed me because at no point does he say the common sense thing. Hey. The reason these things are happening is someone's trying to kill me. Heard it from Dobby. And then take action. Now, I guess then we wouldn't really have a movie if you did that, but there's too much convenience for me to the point that it became overwhelming and distracting from the narrative. That's my biggest problem with this. I was fine with the way it ended. By the time we finally got through an elongated episode of Three's Company meets Lord of the Rings... When he finally actually gets in the goddamn Chamber of Secrets and he's, you know, and, and Voldemort tells him what the whole plan was, I'm like, all right, I'm fine with all of that. But I, I would think the adults should have known, a, a, a little bit better. B, it shouldn't have taken Harry after hundreds of years or however long this took to find the stupid chamber. They're all magic users, for Christ's sake. Your witness. I think you're not taking you're a couple things for granted. First off, the first, first thing off, you have to remember, remember is, is 
Harry is entirely new to this world. To this world. Uh, the kids uh, the aren't kids exactly are experienced in a lot of all. the events, a lot of the horrible events that happened prior to the story that supposedly have always kind of, even the memories of them have struck so much fear in the minds of older adult wizards who lived through them. And so what you've got is you've got a culture wherein, yeah, even though this boy is being much talked about for his for his lineage and who he is and what he's lived through, again, he's still new to this world. There's still a lot of questions about him, a lot of awe, but a lot of doubts. On the other hand, among the adult wizards, what you have is a lot of culture of denial that's based on several things. Number one, the fact that so many of them swear up and down Voldemort is dead. He's gone. We've never seen proof that he is that he is still lurking, that he's still that he's still around. And the idea being that they prefer to keep it that way because of the concept that that's going to keep things orderly and that panic might and disorder might ensue if ever the rumors were to catch on that he were still out there. And at this point, you know, you could assume either way. You could assume either that the adults know he's still out there and they want to keep keep it quiet to sort of keep everybody in a state of calm, or they don't know and don't want to believe that he's still out there. And... You know, you've also got to wonder if maybe part of the reason why the adults don't want anything to do with the Chamber of Secrets is because they do know what that's associated with, and they don't want any part of it. Um, It's not like once Harry was in there, he exactly had much of what you would call a plan. It's not like he exactly that, – that, that's what you're taking for granted, Mark, is you're kind of making it out as though Harry went in there completely planning that Fox was going to show up in the nick of, in the nick of time with the sorting hat. And from that, he was going to be able to pull from this object that he was completely, utterly unfamiliar with a magic sword that was going to kill the giant snake. He didn't really know what he was going to find. He didn't know what was going in there, but he knew the only way he was going to get any answers was to go ahead and go in there and find and find out. There was no there was no alternative. And also well and also keep in mind by this point, you know, Dumbledore, who was supposed to be the most powerful ally that this side of good had had been unjustly removed from power. Not only that, but pretty much Harry's staunchest ally. And I, I believe he I believe he's noted as the only wizard that Lord Voldemort genuinely feared. So he's out of so he's out of the picture. Basically all you're left with are essentially um well, essentially, basically, what amounts to what amounts to his 
lieutenants, you know, powerful wizards, but wizards who were without his who were without his leadership. So it makes sense from that perspective. I can see where you're coming from in that there's a way you could take everything. I don't think literally is quite the word, but sort of boil things down so simply that no, it it doesn't make sense. But if you're kind of willing to take everything else in context, uh, the thing you have to remember about the first couple stories is that a lot of, is that a big key to Harry's survival is that oftentimes he's as lucky as he is talented. Oh yeah. Yeah. That that's a big part that's a big part of it. He is not he he is not a perfect, fully formed hero quite yet. But with each movie, his talents grow to the point where he doesn't depend quite so much on luck. And but at this point, he's still a very young man, has just well, not even a young man. He's a boy. He's a boy who has just learned that magic is real. He is not a human orphan. He's a wizard. His parents were great wiz- were great wizards, and apparently, there is an incredibly powerful, malevolent wizard whose resurrection is dependent entirely upon him. So, yeah, he's relying on a lot of strokes of luck, in many cases on the assistance of his friends, on guidance, and sometimes on people quietly helping him because the people who, the adults who are trying to aid him realize what hell would break loose if they were to come out and just be flat out open with him about it. Right. And having and having to re, and having to realize I know what's going on here, but the rest of the world cannot know yet because there are people who won't believe it. There are allies of there are allies of Voldemort who will want that quashed and will want it kept quiet and are very powerful, powerful enough to do ever to do a whole lot to keep that under wraps, include, including you know, killing if they have to. And then there are the and then there are the people who just won't want to believe it even if they know that it's true and will just be useless. Now all of that obviously changes over the course of the ensuing books, but at this point that's where we are. Okay. So to your credit, a lot of what you said I agree with. And it's not and as I said before the third act of the movie, I think, is the most solid part of this movie in, the, in, the pro, in what I had the least problem with. I understand he went in there with, with no plan, looking for answers, and things just sort of undeveloped, uh, you know, un, undeveloped in front of him. And I'm fine with that. That's not where I was having a problem. And, up to, and, and you reminded me of two things. One, you're absolutely right, and it's something I did forget until you mentioned it. And so I take, take back a smidgen of my criticism. I've forgotten that his two staunchest allies are pulled off the chessboard um, purposefully mm-hmm. because 
you can it is implied basically well without outright saying it but you 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 get the sense that lucius is purposely working against things uh for a oh, yeah. uh with, and again they they it's an illusion they don't say it outright and they don't even get to it until later movies but it's but you you'd have to be blind not to see it um, and so you can take for you can so that's where the element of hey there are people working for him and against him in the shadows and and that that starts to happen here and that's fine that's not what I'm having a problem with there, there are two things that that really bothered me um, to a, up to that point so from from Dobby to that point is where I'm really looking at things going how could the adults in this movie be this stupid number one. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna point the finger squarely at Professor McGon- McGonagall, who I feel like every time Harry does something, usually, um, usually for the greater good and in service of the plot, there she is to lay down some sort of schoolyard punishment on him. And I'll give you an example of something I'm talking about. There's a good chunk of this movie where he keeps getting accused of petrifying people. And he's yeah. blah, 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 who me? You know, I not, not me. And that's what I mean by it's that sort of uncomfortable threes company type writing that's like, no, stop. First of all, the kid no. in the second night school is not running around. I'm like, why would you think that? I understand the evil grandmother thinks it, but well, well, here's here's part of that. It's it's kind of an important point that you're sort of neglecting, and okay. it's the fact that. Okay, you may need to help me out here because I know it's either in this movie or in the first one. There is a scene with a sna- with a snake. Um, I believe it's I believe it was in a transfigure a transfiguration lesson. I could be I could be wrong. Yeah, they're having he's, yeah. They're, they're, yeah they're doing a demonstration and he. Um, he becomes right. overpowered. I forget by who, but well, he almost. Well, well, well now, well, now hold, hold up, hold up, because the important part about that is the fact that Harry is able to communicate and talk with and talk with the snake, and it horrifies everybody else because. The whole thing is that means that he's a parcel tongue, and in all the wiz- the wizarding world, there's only ever been one known parcel tongue, and that was Voldemort. Okay, I yeah. neglected to, to to take that into account. Um, mm-hmm. Still having a little bit of trouble with with Harry runs is running around secretly petrifying people, which is. Some, which is a big part of the first part of this movie. Um, and like it's, I said, it's, 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 it's fear. It's fear of the unknown. I mean, they don't know anything about anything about Harry. I mean, all they know is that history has tied has tied him very closely to the most terrible and powerful wizard that ever that ever lived, and. Okay. So and so, you know, it's it, it's no different than the assumption that a lot of that a lot of humans make. I mean, I mean, hell, by comparison, we just went through a week where you had people 
who swore up and down and would have again on a truckload of Bibles that police were using Facebook check-ins to fucking arrest protesters. <laughs> it's, it's, it, is right, it is right up there among the goddamn stupidest things I have ever heard propagated on social media. And yet, people bought it wholeheartedly. Absolutely. Okay, fair point. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in this case, okay, yeah, I mean, I could totally see how people who were really kind of awestruck by this unknown by this unknown commodity, this mysterious boy with a legendary legacy who's all of a sudden emerged back into the wizarding world. They don't know anything anything about him, just that he had that he survived a magical altercation with the baddest of the big bads. And so and yeah, and oh yeah, now we find now we find out he can do something that only this other guy has ever been a, been able to do. Now, you know what? I I totally buy that they would rush to that judgment and think, hmm, what's different what's different around here? What's exceptionally powerful that possibly we think might have a surprising surprising notion to go around and turn people into lawn jockeys. Yeah, everybody turns and everybody turns and looks at Harry. I totally get that. Alright. Um I think you're making a lot of good points. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna continue to debate you on it because I because it's worth it's worth a sort of a second look with that with keeping all that in mind. I can't help but that my first reaction was sheer annoyance. But it, it also goes to a second thing that and this goes on through the entire series and it uh, and there's a lot of it in this movie where you're absolutely right now before you jump all over me with this i understand for a lot of the series he's a child <laughs> and he, you know and he is still learning the craft here and and uh, and there are there are issues with his character that that make this a necessity taking that in mind it still gets annoying after a while that he has to be saved as often as he is and in this particular case, it was the it was the magic it was the magic plot device car, which the mm-hmm. first time they they, they yeah. use it and it's funny stuff. I'm okay with it. When it saves them from the fucking spiders is when I threw my hands up and said, "That's it, I've had it. <laughs> I can't take the car." <laughs> I remember having a visceral reaction to that in the movie because I remember when they went to go see when they went to go talk to the spider, the head one, and it was like, and, and they said, "Look." You know, it's you know, it, it, uh, I can protect them from Hagrid, and I'm fine talking to you people. But you're on your own with my children. They gotta eat, and they're not under my and you're not under my protection. So lots of luck. And I thought, okay, <laughs> Hagrid's gonna save them. Some someone's gonna run in and save them. I I I could accept that they were only second year students in the middle of man eating spiders. I'm okay with that. You know that sort of an obstacle to deal with and that sort of an action sequence. But I'm waiting for a human being to show up. I'm waiting for someone with magic powers to show up and save them from the spiders or them to do something witty and interesting to save themselves. And nope, magic car. They were saved by Herbie the love bug. Okay, I can't take it. 
So I uh, okay, okay, okay. The the flying Ford Anglia was yeah, just a touch of mat of magical whimsy. I I get that. I mean, what one thing that I would point out that's going to get kind of interesting though is as the series goes on, most notably as I remember it from Harry Potter and the Order of Phoenix onward, especially. Um, in fact, mostly throughout Harry Potter and the Order of Phoenix is you noticed a curious aspect that Harry starts to get a little bit of an ego. Mm-hmm. I mean, it never it never gets terribly full-blown out of control, but he really gets a, gets a little bit angsty. Um with kind with kind of resenting that he hasn't been given more credit and have and had more praise heaped upon him than he from. than he has. Well, so that's the, in a in a certain in, in a certain way, but it's it's also something where in a way it was it was interesting. I remember when I was reading Order of Phoenix because I wasn't used to seeing Harry kind of having to have somebody sort of take him down a peg. You know, um, I, I I can't... The one thing in, in, on all of our uh, discussion back and forth uh, and, and relenting and saying, you know, good point, Sean, something to, something to chew on for sure. The one thing not addressed is, and I really do feel like it's lazy writing. I feel like this was done for plot convenience. This was right out of the George Lucas school of writing, in my opinion, is that you have this person who builds, who builds a thing in a school for X amount of years and not a single adult fully accomplished wizard can find it, but the kid left upon it. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, that part I won't ran you. I, I, I tend to kind of smirk at the plot convenience. I'll, I'll give you that one. I have no choice. I think overall that's my biggest issue with this movie. It's not a bad movie. There's a little, from my taste, and, ta- and you know, and your mileage may vary. And certainly there are elements that you're reminding me of that sort of tweak this a bit. But um, in all fairness, but there was too much plot convenience in this movie. Um. You know, because the plot says so is not good writing. And there's a little too much of this in this movie that it got noticed by me, who swore up and down that Age of Extinction is an outstanding movie and very well. So, and that the finale to Luke Cage was better than the finale of The Wire. <laughs> it's right up there, baby. Black folks. <laughs> no, it isn't. <laughs> um... But outside of so I wanted it now I've 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 now registered those complaints about the movie. Here's what's good about it. Um, like I said, that third act, uh, that whole bit with the with the blind basilisk. Um, I'll I'll you know someone might be saying, oh, but you're okay with the with the bird who flies in. You know what? They explained the bird earlier on in the movie. That actually yeah. was uh, was uh, was something that paid off. It was just earlier in the movie the thing with the phoenix the fact that it comes in at the very end 
and helps them out with the sorting hat, um, who then gives them the sword and all that, and the, the thing blinds the basilisk. I'm actually okay with it, because like I said, it, it paid off from an earlier scene. Fine. I, I, I'm a, I'm, I will allow a little plot convenience in favor of the hero when he's, you know, when he's on his ass. And he's 12. However old he is. Um, I'm not, you know, I, I do understand it's fiction. I think that I, <laughs> but it's all the stuff that we've talked about before that I had an issue with, um, where it just got overboard. Um, but like I said, the, the, that third act where Harry is, you know, having to outwit the basilisk and isn't just a straight up, you know, clash of the Titans, fight the dragon kind of a thing. Um, I thought it was very interesting that that, you know, that he, you know, figured out that, uh, Tom's soul was sort of in, you know, in this book. And to, to, to damage the book magically is to just to then do away with the, with the soul. I thought all that was great. I you know I didn't see them using Ginny. I just didn't it didn't occur to me. So that was a nice little twist there that it was that particular character who was the hand of Voldemort in the movie, uh, much to her you know <laughs> much to her own chagrin. You know, you know I'm, I'm going to interrupt you for just one second just because I'm going to say. Um, Something that I'm actually I actually thought about doing for a split second, but I couldn't remember how to merge calls. Um, my my good friend and ex fiance Alexis Hana was just trying to call in a second ago. I think I think she forgot that I had a show tonight. Okay. Um, I'm real tempted to call her back, merge the calls, and let and let her tackle. If you, I can actually call her if you want to send me her, her number by uh, messenger and tell her I'm going to uh, call her that she's going to get it's going to be blog talk. Um, I'm not sure I can send a text to you while I'm on. I don't know if I can do that while I'm on the phone, though. Um, hang on. Let me – I got my tablet here. Um, let me see. So let me connect to Wi-Fi for a moment. I can say the trouble I'm going through to do this because she really wanted to be involved in this podcast after I told her sure. that uh, that we were doing that we were doing the show and I no nah, I don't have a connection here. Um, well, see. look if you can, if you can get a hold of her again, tell her the number to call directly here is three two three six five seven zero nine zero one three two three six five seven zero nine zero one if you want to call in the long road to ruin and tell me that I'm a crazy person and the movie's just fine. Okay. Hey, hang tight. Just hang tight. Just one, just one second. I'm going to call her. Hang on a moment. Um, at call. I'm going to let you all listen while I attempt to do this. In honor of this current discussion, I should play Brotherhood of the Snake by Testament while we're doing this. Yes, I did. And guess what? Um, you are on Long Road to Ruin with me and Mark because we want you to tackle some of Mark's... Um, uh, lingering issues with Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. What? <laughs> Hello. Every, what are his What are his lingering issues? Mark. Oh boy. Yeah. 
I wish you'd been listening for the past hour. I've just gone over all this. Um, all right, I will I will enumerate them very quickly for the, for the in the interest of time and the fact that I went through all this for the past hour. Um, and then you are free to shoot every single one of them down. Um, I feel I'm like. <laughs> But for the record, and I'm not sure if everyone caught this, uh, who are you exactly? What? What's your name? Yeah, what's your name? Well, tell everyone who you're on the air. Tell everyone who you are. Oh, I am Alexa. Self-promote woman, goddammit. Hey, I didn't know I was on the show. I'm walking the dogs right now. (laughs) (laughs) Live radio, everyone. Please introduce yourself, madam. (laughs) Hi, my name is Alexis. Uh, I'm a longtime friend of uh, Mr. Sean Comer, uh, and I am a pretty much a diehard uh, Harry Potter fan. Very excited about uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them coming out. I also run Honeysuckle Rose Creations, uh, the intersection of Geek and Geek, where we upcycle old game pieces into beautiful one-of-a-kind jewelry. Outstanding. All right, in a nutshell. This movie is so full of plot contrivance, and uh, because the plot said so, it drove me absolutely crazy. Everything from Harry doesn't bother to tell a single person that Dobby says, hey, people are out to kill him, that he keeps getting blamed for petrifying people when that seems utterly ridiculous, Um, that a, I don't know how old the Chamber of Secrets is, but it's at least decades old and not a single adult wizard could find the fucking thing. But Harry happened to trip over it. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, and the imag- and Herbie the Love Bug constantly coming to save these two idiots in the middle of uh, a nest of spiders. And, I, and, and that was one time, but it happened, I think, one or two other times in the movie, and it drove me absolutely up the wall. Um, okay. Well, yeah. among the, let me tackle it first. The reason that no one else has found the Chamber of Secrets in the book and in the movie is because that um, Tom Riddle, uh, Lord Voldemort, if you will, was a parcel tongue and was able to hide it by only accessing his voice as a parcel tongue, speaking snake, if you will. Uh, parcel tongue is an incredibly rare talent. The fact is that during the dueling scene, when Harry shows it off, the other wizards kind of freak out a little bit because this is something that's not that frequently seen. It's, it's rare enough that they start to think there's a pretty good chance that Harry could actually be related to the uh, um, original uh, opener of the Chamber of Secrets. They think, it's like, yeah, that's not a talent that comes up every, every, off, or every day or so. So that's the reason why he's the one who's able to find it. Uh, now, as far as Harry not really telling anyone, I always chalk that up to the fact that Harry doesn't really know what's going on himself. There is a, there's a scene where they talk about how, again, how rare the partial tongue is, and that there is a very good chance he could be related to Salazar Slytherin. Harry is very much so terrified. He doesn't know if this is true or not. He doesn't know what's going on. And he is rightfully scared that there could be a chance that he could have been the one who triggered it. You know, he doesn't understand what's going on, and frankly, no one else does either. He wants to keep his mouth shut because he's afraid that more people will start to think that, yeah, it's his fault. So on the first now, one, um, the, the second thing I'll buy, you know, the, the, the way you're putting it to me, okay, oh, that's fine. Um, if you know, the parcel thing is so rare and they see him do it, as Sean was pointing out earlier before you came on, 
you know, you, you take you sprinkle a little bit of something odd and then a dash of pa- general paranoia, all kinds of things can be believed. You know, we're going to have a force mm-hmm. of war, the Mexicans out, anything can be believed. So, um, <laughs> anywho, I think I have a, I have a question. I don't want to debate you. Um, I welcome you on the show, and I'm interested in your thoughts, but I have questions, if you don't mind. You're, so, Go in, ahead. The, in the in the X amount of years that this Chamber of Secrets has been a part of the uh, architecture of this school, um, and can and they, now now the adults did know that the only way to find this thing was to grab a guy who can speak Carlsel tongue, um, have him yell it around the school, and eventually something will open and they'll, they'll end up in the Chamber of Secrets. They had to have known that, no? Uh, yes and no, and this is where some, something in the book I think would have been better if they left it in. Now, in the movies, it's uh, Professor McGonagall who uh, tells the story of the Chamber of Secrets, correct? Correct. In the books, it is not. It's a character who we've never actually seen in the movies, Professor Binns. Uh, Professor Binns is the uh, professor of history and magic, and, side note, he's a ghost. He's the only ghost professor in the entire school. I kind of like to think of the idea that the other professors might have only heard about the Chamber of Secrets as more like a rumor. I mean, this castle has been around for who knows how long. Surely there are parts of it that even they don't really know about. I like to point out the whole scene with the room of requirement. You know, they hint that maybe not even Dumbledore really knew what was going on with that. So it's possible there are things in the castle that the professors don't know about. I like to think that it's likely that Professor Binns had heard the story of the Chamber of Secrets, but, again, he thought it was more of a rumor, a little ghost story. He's like, well, we've never really found anything. You know, obviously, again, no parcel tongues. So I was like, yeah, it's just an old story. It's really, you know, there's no fact behind it. So, yeah, I, I like to think that that's the reason why they've never really thought to look for it. Professor Binns has obviously been there longer than most of the other professors there, as he is a ghost. He might have heard things long ago that the others haven't. I don't know. I, that's, that's plausible. That's certainly a reasonable explanation. I'm just sitting here thinking, mm-hmm. hey, we had this mad wizard uh, nearly bring down the entire universe who was accidentally killed by a baby, and he's associated with this chamber that may or may not exist. And there is a line in the movie about we've looked for it. We have absolutely looked for the goddamn thing, and nobody here can find it, and I think that's where I'm stuck. They actively make a point oh. saying, we looked for this, and nobody could find it. And I'm like, hey, wait a minute. You're all supposed to be adult, proper wizards. And, and you know, even with the Parsifal thing, none of y'all could put, you know, two and two together and go, okay, it's, it, it's, it's meow. No one has, there's no plans, there's no blueprints of this castle? Well, first of all, no, there is no blueprint to the castle. Again, Dumbledore mentions in, I think it's the fourth book, he says, I, it's like, oh, you really think I know all the secrets of this, cha- this school? I don't even know everything. And he, he mentions, you know, finding what they – he mentions he doesn't know what it is. He mentions the room of requirement. This school is, again, who knows how old. You know, I, and I honestly do believe that Hogwarts still had secrets that no one else knew about. Not everyone just continued to keep finding. And, again, I honestly believe they did not think – to check for parcel tongues. It was considered a very dark gift. It, it wasn't something that was favorably looked upon. Obviously, again, the dueling club scene where they're like, oh, God, why does he have that? Why does he have that? 
you know, it's, it, it, I, I always think it's like, why would they think to check using a dark power? That's a fair question. Um, it, it's all interesting, but here's what I'll tell you. And this actually came up during the Hunger Games. My cousin, who had read the books, uh, I made a, a huh? comment. It was taken as snide, but it really wasn't. It was asked, it was asked in earnest because I dozed off once or twice in the first Hunger Games. I had asked a question about why are these characters blah blah yakety smackety. I don't get it because none of what I had seen <laughs> and none of what I had seen made any sense in, in you know in terms of answering that question. And the answers I got back was read the fucking book, you you luddite, um, and all your questions. <laughs> um, and and in, and here's the thing. You haven't said. You have now said once or twice uh, in this exchange of dialogue, in the book, and and the rule here on Long Road to Ruin is that these films should be able to stand on their own independently of source material. Uh, if I have to go back to the book to explain the movie, there's a problem with the movie. I'm not saying it's a huge problem, but there are some flaws in the writing when you have to. You know, you have to assume your audience hasn't read the book, or as I like to say, books of burning. Um, I say it facetiously, but that, that is that is a fair point, and yeah, you're right. Uh, I guess it just comes down to these are things that were better written in the book, but kind of lost in the adaptation. I agree. It, when Professor McGoggle, not Professor Bins, is the one who's giving the story, it it does seem a little more far fetched. You know, you are right. These were things that were simply lost in the adaptation. Uh, I, you know, I don't know what the idea was in rewriting it. I don't know if they just kind of figured, you know, oh, the book readers will get it. Who cares? But, no, you are correct. These were things that were lost in the adaptation. Uh, you know, I explained as best I knew from the books. But if I hadn't read the books, I probably would be signing and going, yeah, that is a little contrived. Well, again, I would also point out, like I did at the top of the show, that, that uh, Chris Columbus and Steve Cloves kind of consulted pretty pretty carefully with Joe Rowling when making when making the movie or the movies uh, specifically to make sure that everything still lined up with the greater universe, the greater vision for the series. Um, because like well like, like when we were talking a, a little bit ago about. Uh, Sorcerer's Stone. She uh, politely requested that they nix something because if they included it, um, it would contradict some contradict something that happens in the well, at the time upcoming uh, fifth book, Order of Phoenix. Uh huh. Exactly. Um, yeah. So I imagine that if I were to go back and probably read carefully. I could probably find some interview or something where they would say, well, no, she specifically asked that we do it, that we do it this way. Or it might entirely be possible that it could have been some, could have been Chris Columbus's call. And uh, if we were to ask uh, uh, the lovely Miss Rowling about that, maybe it's Mrs. I don't know if she's married or not. Um, I honestly can't remember off the top of my head. I, I don't believe she is, though, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Uh, if, if we were to ask Miss Rowling about that, about that today, she might very well say in that lovely, articulate, even-toned way that she has, no, that wasn't, no, that wasn't my call, and I really wish they would have left it alone. You know, Lord so, of the Rings, 
famously eliminated an entire character. And I, and I bring this up just because we, we now talk about it so much on Damn You Hollywood and other Long Road to Ruin episodes. It's, it's become a thing. You know, more dinosaurs and where's Tom Bombadil? I'm putting it on T-shirts. We'll sell millions. Of <laughs> um, well, it, like I said, it doesn't. It, unfortunately, when you make something good, even if you are very close with the original creator, there are things that are going to get lost in the translation. There, it's an adaptation. There will be elements that have to change. Yeah, and absolutely. Unfortunately. And there's a lot of parts that they felt they probably had to cut down a little bit because even though it made it a little contrived, telling them probably wasn't essential to the story. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. you got to remember in the movie, you really got to get from point one to point two. And if there's something that's going to make it a little bit more explanatory, but it's going to add running time, the filmmakers are probably going to be more like, yeah, let's just get this over and done with so we don't have to cut another scene. You don't get me wrong. I don't think that people are, and in, in, in the wide expanse of people who have watched this movie, looking at it with this level of criticism, you know, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, do it, I do it for the sake of the show, and, you know, that we would have nothing to talk about. It like, Harry Potter was great, bugs, so no, I, you know, you, you don't. Um, I brought up the Tom Bombadil thing because there, there's an example of, like, we have X amount of movie that we can shoot and Y amount of adapt. And we have to give some of what he does to other characters and just leave him out of the movie for the time. So that is understood. Yeah. Uh, but it, remi- mm-hmm. it reminded me of Alexa, something that my father said about one of the later books where the movie, he, and I remember, and I, and I, of all the things he said about these movies, and he's actually a huge fan he, and he's read the books. He was just like, yeah, that movie was more of a best of that particular book and not exactly an adaptation. And I guess I assume mm-hmm. that the goddamn thing's like 600 pages long, and and that's a fair mm-hmm. point. You're given, at, you know, when you're given Y amount of material to work with, and only you, you can't go much past three hours, or you're going to lose your your intended audience. Uh, not to mention exactly. the fact that you can't put more than a four hour, you can't put a more than a three hour movie in the cinema at this point. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're going to have to make some changes. That I accept, but the changes should work in favor of the movie, not use the non-book reading audience. Um, I'm going to give you an opportunity here since you've, since you've uh, graced us with your presence, and I mean that sincerely. Um, you know, you. I want to give you an opportunity to talk about a couple of things you like best about Chamber of Secrets, and if there's anything that you would criticize about the movie. The floor is yours, madam. Well, I have to admit, Chamber of Secrets is my least favorite of the Harry Potter movies. Uh, it's not my least favorite book, but I think part of it is because it was very similar in tone, a little too similar in tone, I think, to the Sorcerer's Stone. Chamber of Secrets, things got a lot darker. We have students being petrified. We have threats written on the wall. You know, we, you know, I felt that the stakes were raised a little higher, but I felt that Chris Columbus, who is a good director, don't get me wrong, I thought that he played it a little too safe and too similar to the first one. You know, I, I think this is why they went with a darker director for the third movie, which I really think paid off. So, <coughs> oh, excuse me. Sorry. Um, like I, said, I do prefer the book over the movie. Um, but there are parts of it, though, I really did like. I adore Kenneth Branagh as the uh, new Defense Against the Dark Art professor. He is hilarious. 
And I thought he was just absolutely perfect for the role. I we, really we, we really him. dodged a bullet by by Hugh Grant having to pull out of that. Well, I think mm-hmm. Hugh Grant actually could have been good, but I think Kenneth Branagh was the perfect choice for that. Really, but again, there were parts of that I thought that they did skip. There are so many scenes in the book where. Forgive me, my brain's currently on Marvel mode because I just returned from the screening of Doctor Strange. His name is Professor Lockhart, correct? Gilderoy, Gilderoy Lockhart, yes. Lockhart. For some reason, I wanted to say Loveheart. I'm like, no, that's not right. Okay. There are so many other scenes in the book where Lockhart is following around the other professors, just you know, trying to dictate what they should do. And they've just got this look <laughs> on their face like, oh, God, shoot me now. You know, in in the final scene, not the final scene, but the scene where he comes up, uh, he's like, you know, what did I miss? And they're like, well, wait, didn't you say you knew where the Basilisk Chamber was? Didn't you know what to do? I think it would have paid off so much more if we'd had these other scenes of him going, driving the other professor nuts. <laughs> when when Snape, you know, basically sends him to his doom, the, none of the other teachers speak up. <laughs> and I think it would have been great to show these other scenes like, yeah, why don't you go down our face and please get him out of our hair now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. so, again, I think that again, those are things that I think would have really helped. But again, adaptation time-wise, probably couldn't fit all of those scenes in. No. Okay. Um, we have a little less than twenty minutes left of live time, and I kind of want to end uh, at the end of live or as close to it as we can. So. I'm going to go ahead and uh, just kind of go around here. Sean, Alexa, last words on. Uh, either of these movies, Chambers specifically. <laughs> Alexa, let me just say, Alexis, it's always your last name people get wrong. That might be the first time somebody has actually got your first, actually botched your first name. Oh, oh did I? I have, you have no idea how many. You have no idea how many times I get called Alexa. I, I reside by faith that no one will ever get my name right ever. Sean <laughs> and George, go ahead and. Um, and we'll, we'll round table out here, sort of final words, thoughts, things left unsaid about either of these movies. Sean, go ahead. Okay. Um, the only thing left that I'll say about the, say about the movies is I think I said pretty much everything, everything else. I will correct myself slightly. Uh, Richard Harris died between the, between wrapping the movie and its release. In fact, uh, I now remember that this was dedicated to it when it came it out. It was. Yep. Yeah. Um, I said previously that, it came, that he passed away between the release of the second and third movie. I was only off by a little bit. Um, but I still stand by the fact that Chris Columbus was the right director with the right tone for the first two movies when the tone, according to the source material anyway, was still supposed to be fairly fresh um, and fair and fairly bright and still somewhat innocent. Um, Alfonso Coron was the right man, was the right man to kind of pivot things with prisoner of Azkaban, which we'll lead off next week talking about because that's where things really start to get dark and serious. And then from there you've got guy who directed the, the the four who directed Goblet of Fire, um, and then from there you've got I'm blanking on him, but guy direct who directed the rest of the series, directing. <laughs> um, uh, basically, the the casting, the direction was 
and writing was as perfect as the casting. Um, I haven't given nearly enough credit to the instantly recognizable sweeping score by John Williams, which mm-hmm. I cannot begin to imagine these movies without. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that, I think that as far as the movies go, we've said about everything we can about we can about the first two. Uh, oh, uh, one interesting last little story, actually. Um, at the end of the movie, there's this line that Jason Isaacs delivers where he says in this magnificently perfect, creepy-ass voice of, of his, let us always hope that Mr. Potter will be around to save us. That was completely <laughs> improvised. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe actually earned a bit of a point in this venerated actor's book by 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 throwing an improv right back of his right back of his own. Like it's right on the spot coming up with Don't worry, I will be Fucking hell. <laughs> you you just that's that's like standing in standing in there with Evander Holyfield or Muhammad Ali as a sparring partner and they catch you flush with a jab and you throw a straight right right back right back at him and they just kind of smile back at you. Apparently that really earned Isaac's respect. Um, but otherwise, no, I think as far as the movie goes anyway, uh, we pretty much covered it. Are we kind of doing just plugs as we go or are we doing that next? We'll do that next. I want to give um, you okay, uh, an yeah. yeah. opportunity here to talk. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I'm done. Alexis. All right. I still stand by that. I think I would have liked Chamber of Secrets to be a little bit darker. I think my only other complaint about it, and this is me being nitpicky as hell, but forgive me. Um, I was actually a little disappointed in the Chamber of Secrets itself. Not the design land or anything, but well, kind of because I've always pictured it to be just enormous, gigantic, this vast, massive room. And I saw when I saw what they did with the movie, I'm like, well, I guess that's what they had to do on a budget. You know, <laughs> I always pictured not just the head of Salazar Slytherin, but it's like a whole giant statue of him, and the basilisk comes just slithering out of his mouth and down the, the statue. I would have liked to have seen it a little bit bigger, a little more threatening, if you will. Again, I think the movies could have been a little darker, but I did still enjoy it overall. It's funny you mentioned that, you know, I, I had forgotten how the movie ends. It's, again, it's been quite some time since I've seen any of these. I saw them in the movies, and I don't think I ever actually sat through a second sitting fully of any one of these movies after I saw it in the theaters. So I really forgot a lot about it. And when you know, they kept saying the Chamber of Secrets, the Chamber of Secrets, and I'm picturing something akin to The Last Crusade when they, you know, when they find uh, Christ's chalice, you know, and it's just got mm-hmm. rich and so I'm expecting a chamber of secrets. I wanted Harry to sort of walk into this room and we've got magic wands and weapons and, you know, doodads and vases and just weird shit everywhere. And essentially he went into the sewers of New York, complete with an alley. <laughs> I expect him to find a ninja turtle. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you do, yeah. Half expected, you know, some some turtle in a in, in a in a bandana around his head come running past him. Holy shit! I'll be right back. I have fanfic to write. <laughs> <laughs> get get Ben on drawing that. Been written. <laughs> uh, and lo, there was much fanfic. <laughs> 
Uh, okay, anything else? From me or from Sean? You. Oh, um, no, not really. Uh, like I said, Sam Bio said, I wish it was a little bit darker, but what we got, I still enjoyed. There were parts of the book I really wish they had left in. I think it would have helped a lot more with the adaptation, but it's an adaptation. You really got to pick and choose what you leave in and what you cut, and I understand that completely. I I will point I will point out Alexis Mark had the joy of actually watching these two movies with his daughter. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, yeah. He's five going on six. He handled it pretty well. Um, yeah. Awesome. My uh, the only thing I'm going to say, and then we're going to get right into plugs, is I think the series gets better with each film. Um, I remember liking the next couple a lot more than I liked. Uh, this one and the first one gets a pass ultimately for all the reasons we discussed in the first hour of the show. So, you know, starting with this one, I think it's just sort of, you know, it's the weakest and it just gets better and better as, as we proceed to the deathly hallows. Um, let's see if mm-hmm. my memory is correct about that. Um, I'm going to just throw out a couple of quick plugs and then I'll round back with, uh, with you good folks. Uh, tomorrow, Dr. Strange does in fact come out. You just heard her talk about going to see it uh, tonight. Um, we will review it on Damn You Hollywood next week. Go ahead. On what are you going to say about Doctor Strange? I was going to say this. I'm not giving away spoilers, but I did mention this on my Facebook post, and I still say it. If you want to see Doctor Strange, not only do I highly recommend it, I highly recommend seeing this movie in 3D. This is yeah. easily the most visually brilliant film that Marvel has ever come out with. It is striking. It is gorgeous. And it is so worth the extra penny to see it in 3D. It is great. Ooh. Yeah, I have an opportunity to see it in, uh, at an IMAX theater. The, the local theater to me has an IMAX uh, theater inside. That's the game plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, without IMAX. even having a movie, I would second that. Go see this thing in IMAX uh, or close to it as you can. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, Doctor Strange comes out Friday. We will review it on Damn You Hollywood. On Election Day, more on that in a moment. Um, I will be on Source Material talking about uh, the Doctor Strange graphic novel, The Oath, with Jesse Starcher uh, and others. Um, And then, of course, we'll review the movie Doctor Strange. Uh, Metal Hammer of Doom next week, uh, keeping in in themes with magic this month. We'll be reviewing the new Opeth album, Sorceress. And then we'll be back here on Long Road to Ruin for Harry Potter Part Deuce. Uh, Prisoner of Azkaban and Goblet of Fire, I believe, are next. Now, bear with me here, because this is where the schedule gets a bit wonky. Um, next, so this Thursday, next Thursday, Harry Potter, Long Road to Ruin. On the 15th, which is a Tuesday, we will be doing the third part of the Harry Potter series um, instead of Thursday. Reason being, because Fantastic Beasts comes out on the 17th, and I'm going to see it with some other folks. So, uh, no show that night. Uh, and then we are skipping an entire week because it's Thanksgiving week and they, we just plumb ran out of days to do anything because we've got source material, we've got Damn You Hollywood, we've got the first of a two-part Metallica review, and then it's Thanksgiving and I don't podcast on Thanksgiving. Um, so we'll conclude our look at the Harry Potter series on December 1st and we'll be back on Thursdays at that point. So uh, next week, Thursday then Tuesday, then skip a week, then we're back on Thursday to finish up. Um, go ahead. 
uh, Alexis with any plug, anything you would like to plug, uh, anything you would like to tell the people about where they can find you. Um, just, you know, this is your opportunity to sell, sell, sell. All right. Well, again, I run Honeysuckle Rose Creations, intersection of geek and chic, and I am happy to announce that we just launched our third online store. You can now find us on Etsy, handmade at Amazon, and Store Envy. So if you can't find the exact gift you're looking for, you can check one of the other online stores. Chances are pretty good that between the three of them, you've probably got what you want. And again, we are always open for custom orders, especially around the holidays. We want to help you get the perfect gift. Very good. And I appreciate you coming on uh, rather short notice, but uh, you are welcome back at any point during the series if you if you so desire. Um, very interested in your uh, your thoughts on these movies. Keep that book shit to yourself. You know what I mean? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I would be happy to uh, be a part of the podcast for the remaining uh, Harry Potter movies. I do need to sit through and watch a couple of them again, especially uh, – Goblet of Fire. I, I think I only saw that one once. I, I, I hate to. I think I saw it once, and then I then they, then Twilight came out, and I thought, oh crap! Now I can't look at Cedric Diggory the same way again. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. Um, so, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll get with you, and we'll uh, we'll make sure you're part of the part of the rest of the series. Sean, hit yourself. Yay! <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm not going to see Doctor Strange this weekend because I actually have plans to go see Hacksaw Ridge on Saturday with a couple of friends. I'm going to see Doctor Strange next weekend. Um, so instead, in the meantime, uh, I will second that going over to Honeysuckle Rose Creations because uh, most days I kind of have the run of the Facebook account. Uh, so I'm always happy to interact with anybody, recommend, recommend goods, accept suggestions, and pass, and pass them along, what have you. Otherwise, else there, else there. Sean, speak pretty. Allow me to vomit language some more with you, little human worm babies. Um, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be having Alexis on the show if I didn't make an Invaders in reference. Um, <laughs> elsewhere. You can find me oftentimes over at fpgnews.com where I write my own little sub-blog channel called the Comer Codex. Most recently, uh, you can go over there and read my full extensive recap of WWE Hell in a Cell. Um, And when I say extensive, I mean I write about wrestling pay-per-views the way Mr. Plinkett talks about Star Wars prequels. (laughs) Yes, really. Uh Uh, I'm actually debuting a new column, a far shorter column, coming up this coming Monday. Uh, It is called Spotify. It is my survey of my top five picks of the week for the best new music over on on Spotify, uh, along with possibly maybe a few guest picks that I might throw in there from my own personal release radar if anything happens to stand out to me, or just you know, maybe a rarity that I happen to have stumbled upon. Stuff like that. Otherwise, you can feel free to tweet at me anytime you want to at Comer Codex. Thank you to the fan who tweeted at me last week and made a point that I sometimes tend to ramble. 
not unlike what I'm doing right now. Uh, it's always helpful. I'm always down for critiques. Just keep them respectful. Otherwise, you know, I take a certain perverse, perverse glee at banning people at this point. Just might sexually arouse me a little bit. So just kind of keep that in mind before you throw too much shade my way. But all kidding aside, thank you very much to Alexis for joining us uh, while she's out walking Eddie and Toby. Uh, always a pleasure to have her on to have her on the show. I'm glad we got to get her on here and that she's going to be on for the rest of it. Thank you to everybody who both listens live and downloads. You are the reason why we do what we do, why we obsess over all this ridiculous minutiae. And until next week, I'm Sean. You're not. $20 will buy mini peanuts and never dull your colors for someone else's canvas. Okay, two quick things. One, thank you to Benjamin J. Cologne for providing yet more title card artwork for this oh, uh, yeah. uh, for this show. We will be using it for the next uh, three shows uh, overall. Again, Benjamin does great work. Check him out on soulxo.com. Uh, this week's uh, title card was actually inspired by apparently a Spider-Man cover. So uh, kudos mm-hmm. to Ben always continues to uh, impress us with his art. Uh, as I said before, there's, uh, we're happen to be reviewing Doctor Strange on Damn You Hollywood on election day. Um, so we're going to go a little early with Damn You Hollywood at 830. I'm hoping to keep it to an hour because when Rob and I both like a movie, we don't have a whole lot to say. So um, we're hoping that we're going to love Doctor Strange and basically be like, Doctor Strange is good. Go see it. Plugs, and then get to the main event. Because it's election day, everybody. And that means that we're going to do a very special podcast over on uh, YouTube via Google Hangout. Um, Andrew Graham's going to join us. Uh, Robert Cooper, I believe, is also scheduled to uh, pop in. And we're just going to talk the election returns. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, is this my beautiful house? You might also be thinking that, uh, oh, no, they're going to talk politics. Not necessarily. I don't care who you vote for. If you're a Hillary supporter, great. Bully for you. Just go vote. Make sure you go vote. I'd be more irritated if you didn't vote. If you're a Trump supporter, stupendous. Wonderful. I still don't care. But we're going to talk. With, with this, the great thing about Election Day is the horrible coverage of it. It's hilarious. I have been watching election yeah. returns mm-hmm. quite for many, many years now, and I still laugh at some of the nonsense that happens as they try to fill airtime. So we're gonna we're gonna live blog basically, live podcast the entire election as soon as we get done talking about Doctor Strange, and we'll be there and since we have no time restraints. We'll be there until we have a president, or until I pass out. One of whichever comes first. Um, so this, this this podcast will be sponsored by Vault Tech, Nuka Cola, and Fancy Lad Snack Cakes. You know, I wish I wasn't on a diet because I may need to drink that night. Um, <laughs> I, may <laughs> I may need to break out some yeah. whiskey because it's got no carbs, ladies and gentlemen. Vodka and whiskey, no carbs for all of you out there on a strict no carb diet who feel the need to get soft on election night. Um, yeah, we're holding on to all of our alcohol for our Halloween party. We're saving it for election night. There you go. Outstanding. Um, the other quick thing I want to announce is uh, the last two Long Road to Ruins for the year 
Um, one of which uh, is just going to be myself and Gavin Napier. I lost the bet. They're not going to make the Gambit movie more than likely. I finally had to acknowledge that and come to Jesus with it. So I promised that if I lost that bet, that uh, they would in fact make the Gambit movie uh, based on the Marvel character that um, Gavin could pick a long road to ruin. So it's just going to be me and him. It's long road to ruin three Paul Thomas Anderson movies. Um, two of which I actually oh, remember. God <laughs> so we're going to look at Boogie Nights and two others. Um, and it'd be me and him <laughs> talking it up. And that's how I'm going to honor this bet. And then finally nice on Tuesday. Oh, sweet. <laughs> and then finally on Tuesday, December 13th, our very last show of the year, this was a special request. Not exactly Christmassy, but it was a special request, and I wanted to get it in before year's end. Speaking of year's end, what it is is the Cornetto, the Three Flavors Cornetto Trilogy. Um, that'll be it for us. We'll be back then the following, uh, in a couple of weeks after that, with Underworld and Resident Evil, because I, I, I had, feel like I have strong friendships, so I'm going to test them. Wait, wait, wait. Hold, hold up. <laughs> hold, hold up just one second, because there, there's one date that I need you to remind me of. Um, because let, because like the goddamn fool that I am, I agreed to serve as the gaming consultant for uh, yeah. Assassin's Creed. So that's happening on the that's happening on December 27th. Well, merry bloody Christmas to me. See, you thought you had off the rest of the year. Nope, we're dragging you back in for you, one last you, you know, You know what? As far as I'm concerned, karmically, I will sacrifice the fact that they made a movie out of Assassin's Creed as long as they never attempt to make a Mass Effect movie. Well, here's I hoping. know they're listening. <laughs> they are. That's, that's oh, a running gag oh, on this show. Oh, they've, they, they've been trying to get one off the ground, I think, ever since Mass Effect 2. But at this point, I've heard so little about it that I have to think it's gone the way of that would have been ungodly fucking orgasmically awesome Bioshock movie. And it's just pretty much pretty much lost to the depths of development hell. Yes, what Sean is referring to is, damn you, Hollywood, uh, our Assassin's Creed review, December 27th. He will be on providing uh, some game uh, context as we review this film, which looks like a pile of shit, but we're going to see it anyway. We'll see what happens. Maybe I'll be wrong. Hopefully I'll be wrong. <laughs> All right. With that, um, I want to say thank you to our guest. Thank you to Sean. Thank you for all who uh, tuned in this long to listen. We'll be back uh, next week, Thursday. I'm going to keep talking until I find the outro music. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Be well, be safe, and behave.